And tonight I want to look at the aspect of prophecy called the rapture. Now when some people say, man, you talk about end times a lot. Sometimes you hear that as a pastor. But you've got to understand that 30% of the Bible is on prophecy. So if you teach the Bible correctly, verse by verse through the Bible, almost one-third of the time you should be hearing about prophecy. Something to do with the coming of the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there's 1,527 verses. Guys, 1,527 verses pointing to the second coming of Christ. In the New Testament, there's 330 verses pointing to the second coming of Christ. There's a lot to say. Jesus, in Matthew 24, when he was talking about the last days, he says, let the reader understand, read the book of Daniel. When he mentioned a point, he just sort of did the reader digest thing and just mentioned it saying, you got to go back and study the whole book of Daniel. That's what Jesus told us to do, to study prophecy. Matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, when he talked about prophecy, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning, and then he goes on talking about it. Then the very next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 and 2, he says this, But concerning the times and the season, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, and he goes on. Now what's interesting is you go back to the book of Acts, Paul was in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. That's at maximum four weeks. Four weeks he had with those guys. Three Sabbath days he taught them. And he says, when it comes to end times, you guys know perfectly. That was something that Paul zeroed in and talked about to the church. One of the very foundational things they know as believers. And then also in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ, or also it could be translated, the day of the Lord had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. That's the Greek word apostasia. And the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know, and he goes on. You know these things. And it's just sort of a quick, these handful little verses just have so much detail. And he just sort of gives the outline saying, you guys know, I went into detail onto this stuff. And somebody, first time reading this, goes, whoa, 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 what, what has, what's all this piece of information? You've got to study several books of the Bible to put all those pieces of information in a row, as Paul did there in 2 Thessalonians 2. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says in verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says, or emphatically says, in other words, when the Spirit of God talks about end times, 
It's with this enormous shout, this enormous emphasis. The Spirit expressly says, emphatically says, in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And he goes on. This you know. You know perfectly well. Yourselves know. Don't be ignorant. The Spirit of God emphatically says. And then in 2 Timothy 3, 1, again talking on end times, he says this. But know this, that in the last times, perilous times will come. And he goes on and gives a description. So when we come to the topic of last days, end times, each time the Lord speaks emphatically. He says, you've got to know this. You should not be ignorant of this. I was with you guys four weeks. What am I having to repeat this for? (laughs) This is something you have perfect knowledge of. That was the way the Apostle Paul looked at the end times. And so it's no wonder today that one of the most confused topics is on prophecy. Why? Because we know God wants us to have a perfect knowledge of it. We know the Spirit expressly, emphatically says things, and then comes Satan with his spin. Then comes the liberalism of man, trying again, being used by Satan, to try to twist things. And the one thing we see when we look at the last days is there should be this radical expectancy of the Lord coming any time. And if you look at all the variations, rather than the next thing we're looking for is a rapture of the church, all of those other variations do not give you a a right now expectancy of Christ. If you have the mid-view, which means the rapture is coming in the middle of the tribulation period, the next thing we're looking for is not Jesus Christ, but the Antichrist. Because Christ isn't coming until halfway, until the, until the Antichrist sets himself in the temple and proclaims himself to be God. So we're not looking for the coming of Christ. The post-trib, we're going to have to endure the entire tribulation period. The next thing we're looking at is the tribulation period and enduring through it. So you would have, think, you would have thought that some teachings were there By the way, if you're in the last days, tribulation coming, start stacking up canned goods. Bomb shelter wouldn't hurt. Don't tell anybody. It's got to be secret. You know, Um, those are the kinds of things you would have thought would have been said. But we don't have that. We always, the anticipation is tell as many people as you can. Your heart be right because it's going to come. It's not prepare for war and Armageddon and the tribulation period because why? We're not going to be here. And so people often ask the question, well, I I looked, I can't find rapture in the Bible. Simply ask them, can you find the word Bible in the Bible? Um, It's not there either. There are some teachings we have that sometimes we put together as a collection and give it a title. But then there's some teachings that have been around far before our English Bible ever came into existence. And this is one of them. In the Latin Vulgate Bible, you will find the word rapture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17, it says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, And thus we shall always be with the Lord. 
Now, that word, catch away, in the Greek, it's the word harpazo, but in the Latin, it's the word rapio, R-A-P-I-O. However, it's in the past participle, which makes it raptus, R-A-P-T-U-S. We translate that into the English as rapt, R-A-P-T, but again, because it's in the past participle, it comes out rapture. So in the Latin, it would have that word, rapture, a Latin Vulgate, a Bible that's been around a lot longer than our English Bible has been around. It's very much there, and it means by force, forcibly, to be grabbed and snatched away. And that's the word we have right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. And we also see it again in 2 Thessalonians 2. It says, Concerning, notice here, number one, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Thessalonians 2.1 and are gathering together to Him. He makes it two separate events. One is the coming of the Lord and secondly is our gathering to be to Him. And so when we look at the Scriptures, we see actually two clear separate events concerning the Lord's coming. The one is what we call the rapture, where we go to be with the Lord. And we find it described in sort of a light type of way. Matter of fact, in Matthew 24, it describes it this way. In Matthew 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, very immoral, very violent days, but also, this is talking about the world condition, not the church, but also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day of Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. However, in the same chapter, the Lord describes another event in Matthew 24, verse 21, where he says this, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until the time, nor shall ever be. In Revelation 6, he describes it this way. In verse 15 and 16, The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So one scenario, they're eating, they're drinking, they're making merry, they're having this big party, and all of a sudden, boom! Two men in the field, one taken, one left. Two men grinding the field, one taken, and they left. You see a very happy, go lucky spirit, a very immoral time. It says that the Bible says, like the days of Noah, you can go back and read it, it was a very immoral time. It says, like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, again, a very immoral time. But Lot forcibly grabbed by the hand, taken out of the city. And uh, again, we see the Lord protecting Noah and his family from the time of wrath. And I'm not going to go into that tonight. There's so much scripture on this. But nevertheless, we see two complete different scenarios. One is a time of horror where the Lord is coming and they want to hide from him because of the incredible destruction that's going on. The other one is the Lord, they're caught up to be with the Lord and they're completely shocked. 
They had no expectation whatsoever it was coming. We also know the approach of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we just read it, that those who remain will be caught up to be with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, just make a note of that, that it says, in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. In a moment and a twinkling of an eye. Not all are going to die, but some are just going to be caught up, and we shall all be changed. But where is it? We meet the Lord in the air. However, in Revelation 19, in the second coming of Christ, notice this. It says in Revelation 19, 11, I'm going to skip over and look a little at verse 14 through 15, and also a little bit at verse 21, just to give you the picture. It says, Then I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true and righteous, and he judges and makes war. And the armies in heaven clothed with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. As you read through Revelation, that's us, the believers that were raptured away with him. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. The rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. And in Zechariah, uh, it says this, chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, it says, And the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. He fights in the days of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. On the Mount of Olives, shall split in two from east to west, making very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and the half of it towards the south. So again, we see two separate events. One, the rapture. The other, second coming of Christ. One, everybody's making merry. Everybody's happy, go lucky. And all of a sudden, boom, they're caught completely off guard. They, had, they, had, they, they didn't know it was going to come, and it came. The other one, he's clearly coming. They know he's coming. They're trying to hide themselves. They're begging that mountains would fall on them. Rocks would fall on them. They could hide from the coming of the Lord. The first one, the rapture, were caught up together with him in the clouds is not even on this earth. We're caught up in the heavens with him. The second coming, not only do we see him physically coming on a horse, we know exactly where he's going to step on the Mount of Olives in the second coming. Then also we see different positions. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 17, it says this, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he who is alive and remains shall caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Again, Revelation 19, verse 11 and 14. I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who set on him called faithful and truth and righteousness and judgment makes war. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white, clean, followed him on white horses. So in one place, we are on the earth already. And then all of a sudden we're caught up in the clouds and then we're with the Lord in the clouds. On the second coming of Christ, we are already in heaven. We're the ones in fine linen. And we are coming out of heaven on horses ourselves with the Lord. The rapture, we're on the earth, caught up into the heavens. The second coming of Christ, we're already in the heavens, coming down to the earth with the Lord. We're in two separate positions, two separate locations. And then we see different scenarios, prophetically, of the date. In Matthew 24, 36, it says this. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. 
Now, if you know the Jewish wedding, you would understand much prophetically. In the Jewish wedding, the guy would go to his father and say, can I marry this gal? Go ahead. He then goes to her parents. They, set, they talk to have it set up the dowry. Then it's agreed that the woman would marry him. Then she's informed. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and then she gets her bridesmaids together. And they begin to have these sleepovers. He goes back because in the Jewish culture, you cannot work for a year. You can't go to war for a year. You have to have a year honeymoon. Does that sound pretty good or not? So what he has to do is go build his honeymoon suite. So he attaches it to his parents' house. He builds somewhere on that property. He builds a little honeymoon suite where they'll live for that first year where they're totally taken care of. And the dad comes out and he's the one who says it's ready. So what the bride does is she sends out her little spies. Oh, they put the roof on today. All right, it's getting close, you know. Hey, I saw them carrying in, you know, a bathtub. Whoa, they're already putting the furniture. And so they're now getting ready and they start putting actually on their wedding garments. And they're just sort of living in them and sleeping in them. And, and finally it's done. And the dad says, no, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to think about this. I, I don't know if I like the color of that wall. And, he, and the son, it's done. He's ready. He wants to go get his bride. And, and he can't go until dad says. And, and in the Jewish tradition, the dad comes out one day, two or three in the morning, and wakes his son up. And he has all his guys over in this sleep over time. And he says, go get her. And they get up and they have pots and pans and a trumpet and they just go through town making all of this racket. And all of a sudden he bursts in and he grabs up his bride and he takes her off to the honeymoon suite. And all the friends sit outside waiting (laughs) until it's been consummated. And I won't go into any more details at this point. And then they have a party with those people for seven days. At the end of the seven days, then all the family comes. They have the the wedding ceremony and the feast. And so much of the end time scenario is around that Jewish wedding tradition. And so, hey, Jesus is saying, I'm the husband. The church is the bride. Nobody knows the day or the hour. I go to prepare a place for you. But... Until the Father gives the word, I can't come. And so it's sort of in a humorous way, but yet nobody knows. Only the Father can say, now's the time, go, son. But however, in the second coming of Christ, we know the very exact day. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, amongst other many other passages, this is just one of them, it says, from the time, in Romans 12, 11, It says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So when the daily sacrifices are taken away, and then, evidently about 30 days later, the abomination of desolation, because we have other passages that say, after the abomination of desolation, it's 1,260 days. So the taking away the sacrifices, stopping the Jewish sacrificial system that begins in the tribulation period, it's stopped. you got 30 days. The Antichrist comes into the Holy of Holies, proclaims himself to be God. But the day the sacrifices are taken away, according to 
Daniel 12, 11, you can count the days until you see the Lord coming on a white horse, coming out of the clouds, ascend down to the Mount of Olives. The day that the Antichrist steps into the Holy of Holies, proclaims himself to be God. We know another passage again, 1,260 days until the Lord comes. But the rapture, no man knows the day of the hour. The second coming, we know exactly when the end of the seven-year tribulation period is going to be. And of course, exactly the three-and-a-half-year period, the last three-and-a-half-year period. And so, as we look to the scriptures, we, we go back and forth, and we discover there are two complete separate events. One is the rapture of the church. The second is the second coming of Christ. Matthew 24 says, At the second coming of Christ is like lightning from east to the west. Everybody will behold him. There won't be anybody that won't behold him. And we are with him in that second coming. But the event we're talking about tonight is the rapture. The rapture is a time of comfort for us who are believers. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17 and 18, it says, We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. For us as believers, the rapture of the church is a comforting thing. Looking at the tribulation period to come, we know we're not going to be here as believers. So when we as believers talk about the end times, it's a joyful, comforting thing. It's not a thing of talking about this horrible time of tribulation we're going to have to endure, whether you believe in mid-trib for the three, three and a, first three and a half years, or you're a post-trib for the second, for the whole seven years, we're going to have to endure and make it through it, and boy, it's going to be a tough time, and oh, I don't like to talk about tribulation period, or I don't like to talk about the coming of the Lord because it's just too upsetting to me. For us as believers, it should be a comforting thing. He says the same thing in the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. He goes through this whole description In verse 11, he says, Therefore, comfort each other. Edify one another, just as you are doing. Edify means to build up. So the end times for us as believers, when we talk about it, it's something that encourages us, it builds us up, it comforts us. However, the second coming of Christ is a time of wrath. And it's not a comforting thing whatsoever. In Luke 21, 22, he says, For these are the days of the vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. In Matthew 24, 21, he says, And then there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time nor ever shall be. Look at the description of Revelation 6, verse 15 and 17. Again, we looked at this earlier, but it says, The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, Every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And then the mountains and the rocks, they prayed, fall upon us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? In Revelation eleven eighteen, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. Revelation fourteen nineteen. So the angel thrust his sickle to the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Revelation 15.1 Then I saw another sign in heaven, a great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Revelation 16.1 Then I heard the voice, a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. 
Revelation 19.15, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with the rod of iron, and he himself will tread the winepress of the fierceness of, notice again, the wrath of the Almighty God. So, again, as we look at it, if you believe that we, you're not going to be raptured before the tribulation period, then you, that means you're going to be on the earth why God is pouring out wrath like this planet has never seen or ever will be. When you look at the description, one-third of all vegetation will be destroyed, one-third of all creatures uh, in the sea are destroyed, and then after that, one-third of all flesh uh, of the waters are destroyed, then one-third of, of the day and the night. Uh, and then you, you go on, you look at it, we're looking at the whole earth basically being destroyed over and over again. But notice this in First Thessalonians Chapter 1, when Paul talks about the end times concerning us believers in this time of tribulation. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that you need not to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to, to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In verse 10 here, of 1 Thessalonians 1. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. We're waiting for the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivers us from, what? The wrath to come. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, verse, in, through, through verse 11, he says this. For God did not appoint us to what? To wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other, edify one another, just as you are doing. And so we discover that this time of wrath is something that he said, we as believers, it's not for us. We're not appointed to it. That God has not made that a time for us to endure or go through. And so the Bible makes it clear that it is a time where the church is taken away. I think one of the best things is, is what we looked at last Sunday in Revelation 13. In Revelation 4.1, it says, after these things. It's the Greek word metatauta. And if you look in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, it says, the things that are, Revelation 1, the description of Christ, then looking at the church age, Revelations chapters 2 and 3, where the word church is mentioned 19 times. And then the things that will be. Chapter 4 through chapter um, 19 describe the tribulation period. And in that time, the word church is not mentioned once. The last time you see church is in chapter 22, when the Lord talks about being with him again. But it's interesting, 19 times in the first three chapters, the word church is mentioned. Chapter 4, after these things. And chapters 4 and 5 shows the church in heaven rejoicing, celebrating, worshiping God. And then finally, chapter 6 starts the tribulation period. The church is not mentioned. And this is what I find very interesting. When he's describing the, to the church, each time he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. What? To the church. In Revelation chapter 13, there verse 9, it says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Period. It doesn't say, let them hear what 
the Spirit says to the churches. In Revelation 13.9, it just says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Why? Because the church is in heaven. The church isn't here on this earth going through this horrible, horrific tribulation period. But what do we discover? That we do, as we see the signs of the times, need to make ourselves ready. In Matthew 24, verse 44, it says this, Therefore, you also, what? Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour. You, the church, the believers, we do not know. We don't expect. Matthew 25, 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Mark 13, verse 35 to 37. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In evening, midnight, the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, let's come, he comes suddenly. He finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us, not, let us watch and be sober. Ephesians 5.14 Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So if you're here tonight and you're saying, Man, spiritually I am sleeping. Spiritually I am not on fire for the Lord. I can't say I'm ready for the coming of the Lord. Well, the answer is turn to God tonight, and He'll wake you up out of your sleep, or he'll raise you from the dead, whatever is necessary. Now, what does the Lord say? He says, I'm going to help you guys by giving you signs. And in Luke chapter 21, verse 28, and when these things begin to happen, when you see the process, and the list is horrendous, and it, it would literally take weeks to go sign upon sign upon sign, but read Matthew 24, read Mark 13, read Luke 21, read the whole Bible. <laughs> 30% of it talks about it. When these things begin to happen, what are we supposed to do? Look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them in a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourself that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, knowing that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. So again, I could go into horrendous detail. As we look at Israel as a nation, that didn't happen until 1948, guys. What are we talking about here? Less than 60 years ago. Israel had not been a nation for almost 2,000 years. If that's not the alarm bell, I don't know what it is. But then as we go on, we see the, the headquarters, the, the capital of the Israel is in Jerusalem. Read your Bible. That didn't happen until 1967. Guys, we're talking less than 40 years ago here. There is no way. And boy, if you look at the political aspect of that time, Jerusalem was the hot potato. Nobody wanted to touch it. And when Israel took over Jerusalem in that seven-day war, I'm not going to go into the details, it's, it's just an amazing thing that today we are sitting here, and of course the whole world is fighting, saying, give up Jerusalem, you shouldn't be there. Look at your Bibles. It clearly said, Israel is a nation, 
Impossible. Can't happen. Jerusalem is her capital. Impossible. Can't happen. It's here. The other thing we see is Europe coming together as one, with one currency. It's happened. The euro coin is upon us. It's growing strong. The other thing is Babylon, which is Iraq. The center was the little town Nazaria, just a little below Baghdad there. But as you read the description of Babylon in chapter 17 through 19 of Revelation, it's huge. And the whole world's economy revolves around Babylon. You look at the world today, they're focused on Israel. They're focused on the European Union. And they're focused on Iraq. The three places, when you read in times, those are the three places they're focused on. That's where the world is focused today. There's many, many signs that when these things begin to happen, when you start getting shaken up by these various things, realize any moment the Lord is coming again. Here's just a few of them here tonight. Matthew 24, 7 says that nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. At the end of 2000, there were 40 armed conflicts being fought on the territories of 35 countries. It goes on to say in Matthew, there will be famines and pestilence. The flu is widespread almost in every U.S. state, and the number of deaths due to pneumonia and influenza is now at an epidemic level, the federal health officials said. In seven countries in South Africa, it says, having been faced with the worst food shortage in nearly 10 years, more than 18 million people have, are in danger of starvation. July 5th, it tells us that the United Nations Food Agriculture Organization, F.A. Oh, says the plague of desert locusts could soon hit several North African states. It says this year's locust swarm looks like being the worst for 15 years. Israel hit by the worst locust plague since 1950. Millions of locusts swarmed through Israel's Red Sea resort town of Elat on Sunday, devouring crops and flowers in the country's south. And then also it says earthquakes in various places. <laughs> We all know about this, don't we? What about last year? Last December, Iraq kills 20,000 in the ancient city, I find this rather ironic, of Bam. That was last December 26th, 2003. Check out this December 27th. It says now, the catastrophe in southern Asia 125,000 have died in the uh, waves generated by nine, there it is, 9.0 quake. Have you ever heard of that? A 9.0 quake. And that, from there, December 26th, it tells us that it causes incredible tidal waves, as you know, that absolutely struck and devoured a matter of fact, they estimate right now, interesting enough, that these quakes, uh, the 9.0, has moved islands. And it so rattled the earth, they're estimating now that time has changed. They're going to give it six months, but they may change everybody's clock because of the magnitude of these earthquakes and the, t- and the uh, tidal waves. 
Again, it's a race against time for survivors. And uh, the death toll tops 125. We looked at that. And then it tells us now that there's going to be all kinds of diseases that come from the dead bodies and from the stagnant water and uh, from starvation. And all of these, it says, are a beginning of sorrows. I'm skipping some. There's so many things that we have here. In Matthew 24, 29, or excuse me, Matthew 24, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Over 164,000 Christians are martyred annually, one every three minutes. Isn't that amazing? 200 million daily face imprisonment, torture, or death. 400 million live in countries with legislation specifically discriminatory against Christians. Many are women and children whose only crime is the object of their faith. We see here uh, in July, a pastor shot dead in pulpit. Not trying to give you guys any ideas. But uh, in a Presbyterian church, the cleric, uh, and this was in uh, central Indonesia. French juice, you, you know, uh, France is stopping all forms of religion anywhere of any kind. They want zero. And I um, met a man uh, last year at this time at a missions conference who had a church in, in France for 20 years, and he was kicked out. He's an American, kicked out of the country, and his church was shut down. Well, now the Jews can't practice Judaism, and so, <laughs> interesting enough, they wouldn't go to Israel as God's been bringing them back since uh, the early 40s. But now uh, they're saying, we've got to go. And so now, finally, uh, the French Jews, a uh, stubborn group they are, uh, finally go to Israel. I think they didn't want to go there because there might be war. Uh, that's another topic. Anyway, another uh, top uh, house church leader arrested in China. And then in Sri Lanka... A church was torched and burnt down. Right here in America, a student broadcasting, this is last January, who signed off before the holiday season. He said, happy holidays, God bless you. And uh, he was taken out of the radio uh, broadcasting uh, in his public school because he said, God and bless. Horrible, horrible words to say. And uh, then it tells us that lawlessness will abound. Immorality, good is going to be evil, and evil is going to be good, and it's going to abound and will grow cold. Canada courts back same-sex marriages. December 10th, uh, landmark ruling paves the way for the legislature to force uh, conservative providence to recognize unions. France outlaws sexist and anti-gay insults. Legislation is aimed at curbing rising homophobia by civil Liberty Group saying threats of imprisonment and heavy fines go to, to far, go too far. And the fines are heavy, man. It's interesting. Don't mention God. We can't have that. We can't have any kind of religion. And if you even in a private conversation say something against homosexuality in France, the fines are incredibly steep, up to a year imprisonment. In Montana, right here at home, This is today, guys. Today. This is uh, December 31st, 2004, at uh, 5.01 a.m. 
It says, gays do, benefits, others get. So in Montana, the Supreme Court, the divided Montana Supreme Court declared, that is Thursday, yesterday, that the state constitution guarantee of equal protection extends to gays and ruled that the state university system must offer same-sex couples the same health benefits available to heterosexual ones, the ruling which reversed the 2002 lower court decision and do not address the issue of gay marriage, which is barred under Montana Constitution. Their own state constitution says this cannot happen. Forget the constitution. They're ignoring it, and they're saying that has to happen. And, uh, boy, there's going to be a lot of paperwork, because most homosexual couples change uh, couples every couple of weeks. And uh, take him off, put him on, take, oh, put him back on, he's moved back in. And by the way, there's four of us now, and, and you know, that makes a marriage. And don't forget my dog. Um, it's right there, guys. Uh, I actually had a couple on bestiality here, and I took them out. Um, there's so much. It's, it's amazing. Uh, they're, they're estimating very soon that a half of the porn sites that are on the Internet will be on bestiality. So it's rising, and if you look in the Bible, it's always the case. Homosexuality, right after that, bestiality, and it's on its way. First Timothy 4, again, it says, The Spirit expressly says in the latter times, Some will, what? Depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. It's deceptive. Good is evil, and evil is good. And I can't believe this is, you know, it's not so clear, because it's deceptive. These demonic spirits are deceiving. There's a spirit of this age. And those doctrines of demons are winning out. It says in 2 Timothy 3, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For us? Yes. For the world? No. For men will be lovers of themselves. The world loves that. You deserve it. Lovers of money, come and gamble at Brona. You deserve it. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. The world doesn't mind if people boast and blaspheme God. Go for it. It's perilous to the church. They're disobedient to parents. They're unthankful. They're unholy. They're unloving. They're unforgiving. They're slanders without self-control. Brutal, despiters of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness. Look at that list. All of those wicked things going on in their lives and their minds, but they still have a form of godliness. At least it appears that way to the world. And denying its power from such people turn away. Last year, December, on November 3rd, 2003, the Episcopal Church consecrates openly gay bishop, archbishop of Canterbury, more serious consequences. He goes on saying basically the New Hampshire diocese uh, said we are going to have Gene Robinson as our archbishop. Look at it the following year. March 24, 2004, follows in line. United Methodist Church steps up. And uh, basically the, the church ruled, no, this is wrong, but they take it to court. It says conservative Methodists are using terms like heartbroken, uh, anarchy to describe the shocking results of church trial in Washington State over the weekend in which the United Methodist pastor, who openly admits that she is a practicing lesbian, was found not guilty of violating, violating church teachings. There's a very famous pastor, has a group of a lot of pastors, and he was televised. His name's Rick Warren of the Saddleback Community Church in Lake Forest, California. 
This year he has one of the best-selling books called The Purpose Driven Life. But he was recently asked on a TV interview uh, about a divisive issue, homosexuality, abortion, and so so forth. In Dateline interview, he says, we never use the pulpit for politics. Homosexuality, abortion, politics? I believe abortion is wrong, but why in the world would I hold up a sign saying, you know, I'm against what you already have done? He openly, in this interview, said, you will never hear me put down homosexuality. And again, when he gets groups of pastors together, he say, don't mention sin, don't mention the devil, don't mention repentance. You know, do a six-part series on how to be achievers. Do another six-part series, how to be not depressed in a depressing world. Another six-part series, you know, how to be happy in an unhappy situation. How to be a victor, you know. How to be an overcomer, you know, these kind of things. Guys, it's subtly changing the gospel. Go back and read Matthew and look at Jesus' sermons. You brood of vipers. <laughs> you unwashed sepulchers. You tombs with dead men's bones in it. Christ did not have a problem getting controversial. And they happened to be political issues as well. They came to the Romans. Hey, Jesus said not to pay taxes. They, they tried to pull moral issues into a political game to try to get the, the Romans against Jesus. It's the same way. But we see mainline groups today basically saying, I'm not going to talk about things that would make people uncomfortable. The only reason it would make them uncomfortable is if they're in sin. And the reason they're uncomfortable is because they need to repent. And how will they believe unless they are told? And the fact of the matter is, as I understand, in a world that's becoming a lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, they would rather go watch a movie than to be told that their lifestyle is immoral and they need to repent. Let me tell you something. I've been pastoring now for over 20 years. Here, plus other years in other places, But I I have seen it in the last couple of years, like never before, where people have a hardness of heart. I was uh, sitting this last week with a a gal who's in an adulterous affair, and I took her to 1 Thessalonians. He says, what's that say? Do not be deceived. Neither, and she was reading it, adulterers, fornicators, homosexuals, sodomites, she read the list through, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I said, are you committing adultery? Yes, I am. Where are you going to go when you die? Oh, I hope I'm going to go to heaven. Read it again. (laughs) Do not be deceived. Is there any one of those words you don't understand? Neither fornicators or adulterers. Read the rest of the list. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Took her to another passage. Took her to another passage. A hardness of heart. Like I'm saying, I have not seen. I mean, I've seen adultery and fornication and every sin in the book through the years. But there is a hardness in the hearts of men. And it tells us that in in 2 Timothy 4. It says, in the last days, men will be going around finding their ears to be tickled and will not be able to put up with sound doctrine. They will not. The only thing they'll be able to handle is their ears being tickled. 
They will not be able to stomach the truth. And that's why Paul says, get out there and preach now while you have the opportunity. Well, the last uh, topic we'll look at here tonight is the revived Roman Empire. Look at the European Union today. Britain in secret, I guess not too secret, um, EU Army deal. This is uh, right just last month in November 29th. Britain has taken a dramatic step towards a fully-fledged European army. Is that a shock to us, guys? The EU, the Bible clearly says, is going to have a one-world military system, a one-world economic system, and then a one-world religion. They had the secret meeting saying, hey, we're not going to do this thing gradually. We're going to do it right now. And they signed what's called the Franco-German Proposal for Planning Headquarters outside NATO, and emerged yesterday. So here they're saying we're going to have our own army. It's going to have nothing to do with NATO. Radical. The EU members in an unholy row. Arguments over religion is threatening to hold up the drafting of the European Constitution, uh, writes Ian Black. Europe's leaders are having to tackle some tough issues, but few of them look quite so difficult to answer the question of whether God, Christianity, or religion should get and mentioned in the uh, ambitious new document. Well, the main people that were holding that up was England. But half of Britainers say yes to the EU deal as it is. They, they, they could care less about the whole God issue or Christianity or anything else. They, they don't need any morals in the Constitution. We just want our, we want the EU dollar, we want it to go stronger. And then liberty groups attacked plan for EU health ID. The European Union says the the commission has uh, proposed June 1st, 2004. Guys, that's six months away. Has a launch date of common European health insurance card. With that card, they can track you wherever you're at. It says that the European health insurance card will make it easier and quicker for the EU citizens to obtain health care when staying temporarily in another member state. The card will also have a powerful symbolic value after the euro. The European health card is another piece of Europe in your pocket. goes on to say, every single person in the UK should be compelled to have their DNA on national database in an effort to prevent crime, the senior police officer argued. Currently, about 2 million people who have been charged with criminal offenses have their DNA profiles on national database, and he goes on. So many, I mean... Literally, probably a thousand different pieces of information on each one of these to try to sort through them. And when you look at them, they all, it's like this should already be in the tribulation period. These are the things that you would think would already be instituted and ready. Well, finishing up here tonight, the one thing we see with the rapture is that we as believers are always to be in expectancy. In John 21, do you remember that story? Peter and John, or Jesus and Peter are talking, and Peter turned around and saw the Apostle John. And he said this, what's going to come of him? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, behold, Lord, what about this man? In verse 22 of John 21, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? And then John turns around and said, he didn't say that, he's, that I won't die until he comes again, as some have said. But yet he gave the apostles, Jesus gave the apostles 
an expectancy that even in their lifetime, he could return. And in 1 Corinthians 7, listen to Paul's heart, thinking in his lifetime, the Lord was going to come. In verse 29, But I say, brethren, that the time is short, so that from now on, even those who wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, but those who use the world as not misusing it, for the former for this former world is passing away, and I want you to be without what? Care. He says, All of the things of this planet have a light grip. Because the Lord's coming is so very near and I'd want you to be without care. That's interesting. Because Jesus in Luke 21 said that very same thing. In verse 34 to 36, he says this, Luke 21. But take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who are on the face of the whole earth. And so we find, in each and every case, the Lord saying, watch, be ready. Don't let it take you unexpectedly. Don't you be the one that it comes upon unexpectedly. And then he says this in Luke 21, watch therefore and pray always. Every time the Lord talked to Christians about the end times, he says this, You'll know it by the signs. You see the signs? Step up the pace. Make sure you're ready. And then he always says this. Pray. Sometimes he uses the word watch, which is a synonym for prayer. Sometimes he just uses the word prayer. Sometimes he just uses the word, he uses them together, watch and pray. For example, when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he says to, to the guys, come with me and watch for one hour with me. And Jesus fell on the ground and prayed. And then he gets up and he says, why aren't you praying? So in Matthew 26, when he used the word watch, he used it as pray. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable that men would always pray and not lose heart. He tells about a widow woman who he goes to her and and she she, she comes to this unjust judge who does not fear God or respect man and says, please give me protection. And the guy won't. And finally she wears him down. He says, not because I fear God or respect man, because you wear me out. I'll give you all that you want. And notice God's heart of a believer in the last days. Look at verse 7. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The Lord's description of a ready church at his coming is will he find a group of people who will cry out to him Day and night. That's a heart of fervency. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. When they say, the world is saying, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. For you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are also sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Notice here. Notice this very important part. 
This day, you brethren. Notice there in verse 4. You brethren. This day should not overtake you as what? A thief in the night. But notice what he says in Revelation 3. Speaking to the church. Revelation 3 says this in verse 3. Therefore, if you will not what? Watch. I will come upon you as what? A thief. He's writing to the church, guys. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. He says to the church, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to be ready. You may not be ready. I'm telling you, he starts talking to these different churches, you're not going to be ready. You you are ready, but you're not going to be if you keep doing what you're doing. And then he comes back and he says, guys, in the last days, you've got to have a spirit of soberness. What's that mean? You need to be radically in prayer. How? Night and day, crying out to God. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? What do you mean by that? Is he going to find people crying out to him day and night? And he says what I say, watch. And then he says to the church, but you're not willing to pray. You're not willing to seek the Lord in prayer. So I'm telling you, if you don't have this radical prayer life I'm talking about, it may well come. It may happen that indeed I come upon you as a thief. When he had just said in 1 Thessalonians 5, brethren, that day will not come upon you as a thief, but you be watch, be ready, be sober. In Mark 13, Verse 32 to 37, he says this. But that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 33. Take heed and what? Watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to each his work and command the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, the crowing of the rooster, or in morning, lest come suddenly and he find you what? Sleeping. What's that mean? What I say to you, I say to all, what? Watch. In other words, be in prayer. How would he find you not ready for his coming? You would not be in prayer. One more point. Just going to look at one more verse and we're going to end here tonight. There are people who foolishly say, I'll get saved in the tribulation period. You know what? There are people going to get saved in the tribulation period. But from what I see in the scriptures, it's not people who right now know about Jesus. Most of the population of the world has never heard the gospel message. They've heard about Jesus like you've heard Buddha. Any of you want to stand up here and tell me about Buddhism? I don't think you know enough about Buddhism to, you know, to fill a thimble. Most of the world knows that much about Jesus. And I'm not talking about in other countries. I'm talking about in this country as well. They know the name of Jesus, but they don't know the gospel like you and me. And there's a lot of people who know the gospel, and they have just, they're sleeping. I'll go to church. I'll passively, you know, put the Bible on my nightstand or, you know, they're not seeking the Lord in the Word. They're not praying. Any amount of difficulty Christianity will cost them, they don't want to pay any cost. I'll go to church if I get a front parking place and it's entertaining. But when you say deny yourself, take up a cross and follow Jesus, forget it. If it's painful, I'm not that kind of Christian. It can't cost me in any way. 
time, energy, finances, relationships. I just, you know, I want to go to church like I go to a theater. I just go in, get my entertainment, and leave. God doesn't offer that. I know there's churches that are offering that, and they're packing out. But when you look at the stats, guys, most Christians have never once in their life ever shared their faith. Most Christians have never led somebody to Christ. Most Christians do not read their Bible every day. And basically 99.999% of them do not go to a prayer meeting. And if I'm going to go to church Sunday morning, there's no way I'm going to go to church Sunday night. I mean, that's like asking me to climb Mount Everest. Why? Because it's my time, my energies. You're asking me to, to have a cost with my Christianity. Well, the Bible says this in the last days, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, do, I do not remember that when I was still with you that I told you that these things, and now you know what is restraining, that it may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, destroy at the brightness of his coming. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, lying wonders. We've been studying through the book of Revelation, going into detail into this. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish, listen, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, because they were unwilling to deny themselves, take up a cross. They were unwilling to surrender their life to God. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie. They, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but what? Had pleasure in unrighteousness. It's interesting as you look today at the amount of people. The last statistic was over 80% of America <laughs> claims to be Christian. But yet you're, you're talking, I, I didn't know what the last stat was, it was like 2% of America goes to church. And it's a fraction of that that's a part of any group within the church. And I don't even think you can make a statistic it's so low of who goes to prayer meetings. It would be point zero 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 five nine three, you know. But yet Christ said, when I come, the first thing I'm looking is what? That's saints who are crying out to me in day and night. Jesus, go back and look. In the Gospels, every time the Lord talked about the end times, he said, be ready and How? Be radically in prayer. Every time. Why? Because the cares of this life are going to take you down. The deceitfulness of Satan in these last days is going to overwhelm any one of us. And the fact of the matter is, is prayer is different from all other Christian duties. To read your Bible, to hear a message, to worship all these things that are absolutely essential for your spiritual growth. 
But yet there's another spiritual duty that's different from all of them, and that is prayer. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, when his time had come, he said, guys, come and pray with me. He found him sleeping. He goes, it's not like I'm asking much from you. Just an hour. He actually said, come and watch with me for an hour. And he comes back and says, could you not pray with me an hour? I say to you, watch and pray, lest what? You enter into temptation. Indeed, your spirit is willing. Boy, if you looked at sincerity, Americans are probably the most sincere people who want to help and care in the whole world. We're sincere, but sincerity will not forgive your sins. Sincerity will not get you to heaven. It's a beautiful trait. And we, 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 we regard sincerity so high, we say, it's the thought that counts. Yeah, try that. The next time it's payday and your boss says, you know, you work so hard and it's, I mean, you don't have a check, but it's the thought that counts. I was going to give you a check to pay you for your work and you thought I was and I had planned on it. And here's a blank piece of paper saying I was thinking about you and it's the thought that counts. You don't believe that. <laughs> try, to, try to do that, do it to the next guy, to, you know, the, the gas and electric company. I was going to write you a check and pay for the gas, but it's the thought that counts. Try that to them. It's the doing. And the Lord said, do not be hearers of the word, but what? Doers of it. And guys, I I encourage on two different accounts. One, if you're here tonight, and you believe in the Lord, but your life is not fully surrendered to him. According to this scripture in Thessalonians, because you were unwilling to commit yourself to Christ, you will not make it in the rapture, And God's going to help you be deceived by the Antichrist because you are unwilling to receive the love of the truth. And what's the love of the truth? To deny yourself. But the spirit of the age is to love yourself. Take up the cross. But the spirit of the age is to love pleasure more than the love of God and to take up that cross and start following him. Jesus said it's a narrow road that leads to life. And fewer find it. But many will come on that day saying, Lord, Lord, open unto me. I'm also. And he'll say, no, you are a doer of iniquity. They were so confident. They were going to heaven. But yet they were nowhere near being right with God. And I'll say to you, if you've been toying around with God, I would stop doing it. If you're living in sin, repent and turn to God. The time is short. One of these years, I'm going to give this message and then boop. I hope everybody here is gone. But I think there's going to be quite a few people left here. And you know who you are. And then on top of that, I want to talk to the Christians. Christians, what are you doing not coming to prayer meetings? What are you doing? God has showed us as a congregation, Sunday night is when we pray. I'm sure everybody has a different, more convenient time and it would probably be seven different nights a week. But that's the night the Lord's chosen. And there is nothing more important that you could be doing than praying. There is nothing more important. You may have to deny yourself and take up a cross and get here. <laughs> but guys, I can't encourage you more. 
Watch and pray with us. For your own souls, but also, the Bible says, if we will humble ourselves and pray that God will heal, heal the land. And I believe it. So come and pray for your community, but also that you yourself don't enter into temptation. Let's bow our heads in prayer here tonight. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we come before you now. And We do ask in Jesus' name that you would ready the hearts of those who you've brought here tonight. And There's some of you here tonight that right now God's been speaking to you. He's been speaking to you for quite some time. The Lord's been knocking at the door of your heart. And he's been saying to you, you know what? Uh Uh-uh. You're living a life after your flesh. You're living a life for your own pleasures. God's been speaking to you about seeking him first in his kingdom. But you want your time, your money, your energies, your... And you're living life. You have a... You're you're a life just like it described. In the last days, perilous times will come. The cares of this life, the desire for other things have crept in and choked you out. The love of pleasure rather than love of God is going to take you to hell with the devil. There's some of you here tonight for the first time you've heard of this message. God truly loves you. He's not here tonight to give anybody bad news. He's here tonight to edify, to build up, and to comfort every one of you. There's no need for any one of you to be left behind. The one that's taken is you. The one that's left behind is not you. But it's not just in your mind believing in the Lord. The Bible says the demons believe in Jesus. They're not saved. It's not just having an emotional reaction because they shudder at the name of Jesus. It's a, it's a surrender of will where you surrender your whole self unto God. And you say, God, I give my whole self to you. You are first in everything. To seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness. If you're here tonight and you're saying, that's me. I need to give my, get right with God tonight. Whatever the case may be. I was a Christian. I am a Christian. I'm a backslidden Christian. I need to get saved for the first time. You're saying, I am not right with God, but I want to leave here with my sins forgiven. The guilt of my sin taken away, knowing that I know that I know my name is in that book of life, and that if Christ were to come right now, I'm ready. Just lift your hand and say, Brian, pray for me. I want that for me tonight. I want to be made right with God. Just lift your hand real high. Christ hung high upon a tree for you. Don't be bashful. Yes, there's a number of you, just dozens of you. Right now, I just ask you who have your hands lifted up, just stand up right where you're at. Don't care what anybody else thinks, guys. Don't care what anybody else thinks. Your friends, your brothers, co-workers, kids from school. It doesn't matter. Stand up right now. You're amongst family. You're amongst friends. Christ is noticing this. All who humble themselves, Christ will lift up. Thank you, Lord, for these hearts, Lord. And there's many others, God, you're touching right now. And we know, Lord, it's just 18 inches away from their heart to their head to say, do what God's calling you to do right now. He's knocking at the door of your heart. Satan's trying to rip you off right now. Don't, don't be ripped off. Lord, touch these hearts. All of you who are standing right now. I'd just like you to get up out of your seat. Let them out if you would. And come forward and stand right here. And let that be a boldness to all the rest of you who need to make this same walk. Do it right now. Thank you, Lord. The rest of you who need to come. We're going to sing this song one time. If you didn't stand up, come right now. Those who need to make, get their lives right with Christ tonight. Come right now.
Make your way right now. There's many others. Just as you are. Christ, I need you. Lord, I want my sins forgiven. Make your way right now and come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Won't you come just as you are? Come and see. Is there any others? This is it right now. Make your way. Thank you, Lord. Touch your heart. Thank you, Lord. Right now, make your way. Right now. Lord, I come to you right now, Lord. I want my sins forgiven right now, Lord. Lord, we thank you, God, for touching so many hearts here tonight. And Lord, for some of us, this is just a very simple Bible study we've heard many times before. For others, it was brand new revelation. But for all of us, Lord, we know the reality of being right with you or not being right with you. And we know how we can deceive ourselves. We've done it. We've allowed Satan to do it. Where we're totally believing a lie. But Lord, you said if we come to you, that you would set us free. We would know the truth and that truth would set us free. And the truth tonight, Lord, is we are sinners. We are wicked. We are evil. We are self-centered. We are adulterers and fornicators and extortioners and every kind of sin you can imagine. But then you went on to say, and such were some of you, but you've been washed and you've been cleansed. If you've been in a homosexual lifestyle, God can cleanse you tonight. If you've been in an adulterous affair tonight, God can cleanse you tonight. Whatever your sin, no matter how deep, no matter how great, no matter how many times, God can forgive you. All you have to do is believe upon him. Christ died on a cross, rose again, that you could be forgiven. And right now, just cry out to him. And I know years ago, I was in the same place, and somebody prayed a prayer, and it helped me, because I had no idea what to pray. And I was so thankful. I'm going to pray that prayer. And I would like everybody here to make these here feel at home and pray this prayer with me. And you hear, remain it in your heart. And God will receive you to himself. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. That you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus, who is the Messiah, to die for me. He bled upon a cross. And he died and he rose again. That I could be forgiven. I believe you. I believe you love me. I believe, Jesus, you died for me and rose again. Take my sin away. Scatter as far as the east is to the west to never be remembered again. I give myself to you. And Lord, now give me grace to follow you. Not to just be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of it. To seek your face every day in the word and prayer. In Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.